Welcome to the Raising Biotech podcast. I'm your host, Sarani Fernando, and thanks for tuning in. This podcast has a mission of exploring biotechs raising impressive funds to develop ambitious medical breakthroughs. I speak with CEOs and founders to get origin stories, missions, and future visions for the company. And I also talk with relevant medical and industry experts to get more context on the company's potential to really make a difference in healthcare. Today, I'm talking to Empress Therapeutics, a company originating out of multi-billion dollar venture capital firm, Flagship Pioneering. In June this year, 2023, with a $50 million financing, Flagship unveiled Empress, a company that had been in stealth mode for some years, working on a platform that uses genetic science found within the human body to develop small molecule oral drugs. Flagship has been quite the force in the biotech world, most commonly known for founding RNA powerhouse Moderna. And they have some of the industry's most promising biotechs under their purview, so they'll likely come up again on this podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Jason Park, co-founder and CEO of Empress. We'll talk about his journey to the point of co-founding Empress, what it's like under Flagship's business model, plans to take its candidates into clinical trials, potential partnerships, and plans for the future. I'll also be joined by Jim Collins, Professor of Biomedical Engineering at MIT, as well as Leon Henderson-McLennan, medical advisor and co-founder at consulting firm InThought. They'll give us a little more context on Empress's technology. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Jason. Thanks for joining the podcast. Hi, Sarani. Thanks for having me. So let's just start off just with the technology. It looks almost like magic. Can you sort of explain the technology, like the elevator pitch that you would give? So, Sarani, the, the fundamental basis for what we're doing, I think, could be characterized in two ways. We're trying to make the generation of small molecule drug candidates faster and more predictable. And the way we do that is we're looking inside the human body. If you want to find chemistry to impact the human body, we thought, isn't that the most logical place to look? The second part is we're using genetics and all the power of evolution and nature that went into DNA to find the chemistry. And so what do I mean by that? Well, you know, inside of each human is a whole bunch of chemistry. And some of that chemistry is actually made by proteins. There are specific enzymes that catalyze chemical reactions. And if you start to look at groups of these proteins, you can see pathways of enzymes that work together to make a specific chemical compound. So in a way, what, what I'm saying is that there's a pathway, it's encoded in DNA. And in fact, we're going from DNA to RNA to proteins now to small molecule chemical compounds made by proteins. That fundamentally is at the heart of our technology. We've looked at tens of thousands of people around the world with different diseases. And we can find genetics for particular compounds that we think are causally important in health or different diseases. And then we can go into the lab, synthesize those molecules, confirm our predictions, and we've got drug leads right from the go. So we'll come back to the technology, but I wanted to rewind a bit to where it all began. Jason, along with co-founder Sabrina Yang and Doug Cole, and others at Flagship have been working on this technology since 2017. Jason, a Yale biomedical engineering grad, has traveled an interesting path to his now coveted role as CEO. 
I actually sort of came into this a little accidentally. You know, I, I thought I'd go into the military when I was an undergrad and then to medical school. Ended up getting injured and stuck around basically and started doing research. And I helped spin out a biotech company 17 years ago. And I got to invent some nanoparticle drug technologies, one of which actually went to the clinic. And that was an incredibly gratifying experience in, in terms of thinking about you can invent and engineer and design things that don't just help tens of people, but might help tens of thousands of people. And I, I never really looked back. I started a couple other companies, worked as a management consultant as a while to better understand how the pharmaceutical industry works, and then got recruited by Doug Cole and Dubar Fahan to Flagship to come build and start companies here. Flagship Pioneering has a truly unique business model when it comes to drug discovery and development. Those in the industry will be fairly familiar with traditional research and development pathways. Usually, drug discovery happens within academia and then spins out into a company, or it happens within big pharma and gets developed internally. But this model of a VC firm starting companies from scratch, bringing together scientific creativity and entrepreneurial minds from the get-go, is somewhat unique. I worked with a lot of pharma companies. I worked with a lot of venture groups. I've never really seen a model like this. Take really bold bold ideas, big swings, and try to build them and realize them. Everyone at Flagship are, you know, they're, they're scientific, they're entrepreneurial, they're that, that mix of let's do really interesting science, but then also think about you can't, you can't divorce that entirely from the, the reality of the world. Is you have to create value, you have to create impact. We spoke about his early days in Flagship and what sparked the original idea for Empress's technology. There was a group of us here that we had this realization that what really unlocked the biotech revolution, you know, all the exciting things that we're seeing now with shell and gene therapies and different modalities, different ways of using RNA, all those things ultimately tie back to genetics and the power of the genetic code. And it's our ability to use genetics to point to important things, and in some cases, even use genetics and molecular biology to actually just produce the drug product in the lab. That's unlocked predictability. That's unlocked the ability to go fast mm -hmm. in the lab. And we realized that that revolution hadn't touched small molecules from the perspective of designing the chemistry or finding or making the chemistry. And we asked, what if you could apply, you know, some of the same logic and tools that, you know, created the biotech revolution, uh, what if we could apply some of those same logics and tools to small molecules? So to take a step back, those in the industry will know that small molecules are chemical entities and are the bread and butter of the pharmaceutical world today. You've taken a small molecule if you've taken a pill in your lifetime, and they offer a certain level of manufacturing predictability and patient convenience versus a lot of the more sophisticated biologic injectables that are made from living cells and are largely more potent and efficacious. Small molecules don't come without their downfalls though, as they're pretty easy to copy. So once a company's patent runs out or it loses marketing exclusivity, it's a free-for-all for generic companies to come in and make cheaper copies. So there has been a focus in the industry on revitalizing the research and development world around small molecule drugs. And part of that has been to design and discover them a lot faster. I think a lot of people were, were using technology, AI, ML, 
is often discussed and trying to use that to design small molecules a whole lot faster and better, effectively using the same paradigm that we've, we've long had of saying, here's a target, here's a protein. How do we use computational power to better design small molecules? We said, maybe we could take those technologies and apply them in a different direction. You know, we know AI is really good at interpreting data, interpreting languages and code. Well, DNA is a code. And if you can use DNA to get the chemistry, and we know that AI can be applied to DNA, maybe, maybe now's the time to be able to, to, to actually use genetics to find and make small molecule drug candidates a whole lot faster. Jason explained that the concept was put together by his team in 2017, And over the next few years, his team really benefited from a lot of clinical data that was being published in academic literature, like techniques using AI for drug discovery. And as more data and tools became available, the platform really came together. It's not like there was a single a single moment that you would point to and say that was the key technology. There's a whole bunch of trade secrets, a whole bunch of patents that protect every aspect of what we do. 2020 and 2021 was about building the platform, confirming that it might legitimately work. And over the last year, Empress has been industrializing the platform. Really, in less than 12 months, we were able to go from some clinical data sets to 15 or so drug leads, mm-hmm. you know, things that are actually in vivo active, things that any pharmaceutical drug hunter would recognize as a drug lead. So on the back of that milestone, as mentioned earlier, in June, flagship unveiled Empress, announcing the $50 million financing to progress some of its drug candidates into clinical trials. We have real assets and potential drug products. We've got small molecules targeting a whole bunch of different mechanisms. We've looked at a number of different indications. So that money will help continue to advance and build out the platform and scale it up. But we'll also use that to drive some more products forward. And we intend to look, we intend to be in the clinic as early as next year, could be 25, depending on how the products progress. I spoke to Jim Collins, professor of biomedical engineering at MIT, one of the founders of the synthetic biology field. And his lab is focused on using synthetic biology to discover next generation therapeutics and diagnostics. I came across the Empress team uh, largely through my extensive interactions with flagship pioneering and was really quite impressed with the platforms they were developing to discover novel small molecules. He's been a scientific advisor to Flagship for some time and is now on Empress's scientific advisory board. Empress's platform is really the first one I've seen that finds chemical compounds based on the genetic associations with human disease. So we know that this concept works for biology and for biologic drugs, that is protein-based drugs. But we've never seen this before with small molecule chemistry. The other way that Empress is different is in how they're using technology to speed up drug discovery and improve the probability of success for finding a meaningful new drug. Jim noted that the big problem with chemistry-based medicines is that it's hard to find a good lead. And many tech companies have tried to increase the size of that funnel of viable drug candidates using AI and computer modeling. Empress uses AI and synthetic biology in a fundamentally different way. They're making the bet the nature and coevolution has really done all the hard work and that there are drug leads inside the human body. So this all seems very elusive, but what Empress has said about its Chemologics platform is that it creates drugs by understanding how the genetic code programs cells in the human body to produce chemical compounds called metabolites. And this is the potential powerful source for small molecule medicines. 
the company is initially focusing on metabolites produced by commensal or coexisting non-harmful bacteria in the body, and it uses its computational and genetic technologies to create potentially favorable small molecule drugs. And the beauty of this is that if you confront these co-evolved drugs, you know there's reasons to believe they work and that they're safe, and therefore one should ultimately see a much higher success rate. Both Jason and Jim agreed that with this approach and platform technology, the drug discovery phase should be dramatically shortened. But I was also curious to know if there was potential for clinical trial designs and timelines to be impacted as well, based on potentially better predictability of safety and efficacy. I think it certainly can impact that risk-benefit from really getting after much better safety and tox profiles. And the notion that these things have evolved co-evolve to have an effect inside the body. So I think it can also serve to accelerate these downstream features so critical to drug development. Jason said they applied the technology approach to the human body because it seemed like the most logical place to look for privileged chemistry. And that can afford you a couple things. So one is, you know, the starting point is human compatible. You know, safety is a hurdle that you have to clear in the clinic and one that will be proven out. Human compatibility is something that you can test preclinically. You know, is it immunogenic? Does it, does it perform well in standard safety and metabolic panels? So that we do routinely and our compounds are looking quite clean. Other benefit associated with this is if you tie back to the fact that we're, we're talking about chemistry inside the body, we're talking about chemistry rooted in genetics. Now known, you know, over the past few decades that when you use genetics, when you use biomarkers, your probability of success in the clinic goes up. And we think our approach has the potential to do that as well for our drugs. So threefold advantage, faster and more productive preclinically, potentially safer and potentially more efficacious. And Empress is taking comfort in the fact that small molecules have a well-established blueprint for clinical trial requirements and regulatory pathways to an approval. And this is the oldest, longest, most used therapeutic modality, therapeutic tool we have in our uh, armamentarium against disease, you know, chemistry that you can take orally, that you can take anywhere, actually. And so we've got the upside of we know what the regulatory path will look like. It just depends on which indications and diseases we go into. According to Empress's press release, in less than two years with a team of less than 30 people, Empress has generated 15 molecules for multiple indications. I asked Jason to perhaps expand, give us some clues on where this might have the most potential market and fill the biggest unmet need. Almost every indication is on the table, potentially. Because again, chemistry, it's the only modality that gets inside of cells, it gets to every part of your body, it influences every part of your body. So it logically makes sense that we might be able to find chemical compounds and potential medicines for a whole bunch of different indications. But at the first pass, when we've looked, where is there clinical data that we can start with? Where can we have an impact very quickly? Where can we do preclinical studies that increase our probability of success? We've looked at immune and inflammatory diseases. We have compounds there. We are in the process of doing oncology studies. We know we have compounds that could hit potential metabolic and neuro targets. So to answer your question, we're starting with immune inflammatory, we're starting with oncology, we're starting with metabolic, but everything from infectious disease to neuro is on the table for us. Of the big possibilities, I think the immune system makes a lot of sense to start with. But what we're really talking about here is really the intersection of biology and chemistry. And so theoretically, it could be any human disease. 
When I look at the biggest blockbuster biologics over the last decade, some names that might come to mind include Humira, Rituxin, Remicade, Herceptin, Avastin, Lantus. There's been some huge success in autoimmune and inflammatory disorders like psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory bowel disease. There's also some cancers in there like breast cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, leukemia, and also metabolic disorders like diabetes. So hearing Empress's priorities definitely makes sense from a value perspective, attempting to develop small molecule versions of where biologics have been hitting home runs. So I decided to speak with Dr. Leon Henderson-McLennan. He's a board-certified medical internist and clinical geneticist that has also been consulting the industry since the 90s. He co-founded consulting firm InThought Research in 2009, so has followed the drug discovery and development industry pretty closely over the years. Empress is not a company he's consulting, but he's watching it from the sidelines. Yeah, I definitely felt the read was very interesting. And without having, you know, seen the nuances of the methods behind the company's drug discovery engine, it certainly is aligned with the uh, trend of going with artificial intelligence, machine learning to compress the time needed to devote to traditional and second generation target identification and validation, lead identification and lead optimization. According to Empress's press release, its 15 compounds span multiple structural classes and target multiple classes of proteins, including cytokines, enzymes, G-protein-coupled receptors, and ion channels. So I asked Leon to break that down a bit in terms of where he's seen these particular drug targets pursued, particularly in the areas of immunology, oncology, and metabolic diseases, and also whether they are more commonly targeted with biologics or small molecules. Looking at enzymes and cytokines, there you're talking about a lot of recent innovation with biologics. Pro-inflammatory cytokines, which include interferons, interleukins, and tumor necrosis factors, have been a dominant target for many billion-dollar biologics. Basically, a plethora have been you know, adopted over a wide variety of immunologic indications, rheumatologic, inflammatory bowel disease, you know, Humira and the whole host of TNF inhibitors, IL-4 targeting, pixin for eczema, you know, asthma, eosinophilic esophagitis, etc. You know, IL-17 targeting cosentics for the psoriatic diseases, gyrezi for IL-23 and Crohn's and psoriatic diseases. You know, there's probably 20 other IL targeting uh, monoclonal antibody drugs, you know, across various conditions. Over recent decades, biologics have made a huge impact to the treatment paradigm. Every year we see new biologics getting approved across therapeutic areas or approved biologics are getting label expansions for new indications. And many of them are raking in billions in annual sales. These biologics serve a tremendous swath of patients in these therapeutic areas, but there's certainly room for uh, small molecules to also enter the space. And even in cancer, you're talking about interleukins and interferons and, you know, the management of certain leukemias and lymphomas and malignant melanoma. When I saw the initial, you know, reports for Empress, you know, you, you have to wonder since they're looking at, you know, gut microbiome-based DNA sequences, you know, uh, whether applications in inflammatory bowel disease, um, you know, might be uh, something that they move into. Um, there's, you know, there's plenty of nooks and crannies of, uh, you know, highly specific proteins for which small molecule innovation would be considered uh, valuable. 
For some of those other targets listed in Empress's press release, namely the G-protein coupled receptors and ion channels, Leon said these were more traditionally targeted by small molecules. It's less common to target a G-protein coupled receptors with uh, biologics compared to small molecule drugs. So, you know, I think small molecules are more suitable for interacting with, you know, the specific binding sites of, of uh, GPCRs, you know, due to their size and structure. Ion channels, um, sort of similarly, uh, you're, you know, you're always thinking of things like calcium channel blockers, potassium channel blockers, sodium calcium channels, GABA receptor modulators in uh, neuroscience. So there I thought that sort of follows a traditional small uh, molecule paradigm. So in this instance, Empress may attempt to use its platform to unveil small molecule drugs with better specificity to these targets versus what's already being done with small molecule therapeutics. But Leon agreed that having a small molecule option where only biologics are currently effective and available could indeed be a game changer for the treatment paradigm. Absolutely. Or even worked in conjunction with uh, biologics like, you know, take enzyme replacement therapy, right? As a geneticist, one of my favorite areas of uh, uh, biologic development. I mean, it all started with recombinant proteins, right? Gaucher, Fabre, um, Pompe disease, metabolic enzymatic diseases as well. You know, not only do you have those enzyme replacement therapies, but you have small molecules, substrate reduction therapies that have entered some of those spaces, certainly not all of them, but certainly in the ones that, you know, Empress is initially targeting. Um, you can see a, a potential need for small molecules that not only might work on their own, but also in conjunction with biologics. When I saw Empress's announcement and technology, my mind immediately jumped to Alzheimer's disease. Drugs recently approved for Alzheimer's are monoclonal antibodies, but because they are biologic large molecules, they have some limitations with crossing the blood-brain barrier, which ultimately results in limited efficacy. Small molecules might have better potential, but they also have other toxicity considerations. So I asked Jim whether Empress's technology could possibly revisit the idea of developing small molecule pills for Alzheimer's. I think this promise here, you know, small molecules and broadly chemistry have generally a much easier time getting across the blood-brain barrier. So it makes a lot of sense that Empress would look there. Now, of course, going after uh, diseases like Alzheimer's in drug development as a standalone young biotech is a very hard proposition. So even though it could make scientific sense, I would imagine that Empress will look to partner with larger pharma companies to do something in neurological disorders. And as it turns out, that's what Empress is doing. We're, we're actually actively talking to a number of potential pharma partners um, because if you think of uh, a disease and indication like Alzheimer's, where clinical trials can be so long and expensive and difficult to run. This is actually a great opportunity for us to work with pharma to accelerate the development of transformative therapeutics. And certainly within the realm of uh, probability that looking at not only Alzheimer's, but other uh, diseases of the central nervous system, and especially those that, uh, you know, have an immunoinflammatory component should be addressed by that which Empress is developing. Another thing I thought about with this platform is the fact that many in the industry feel that government crackdowns on drug pricing and bills, including the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act or the IRA, might disincentivize companies from developing small molecules because the shorter exclusivity periods versus biologics 
may not make that R&D investment worthwhile. So I wanted to know how that translated to Empress's journey and how they were considering long-term economics. I mean, we're keeping a close eye on things like the IRA. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty as to how the law will actually play out or actually get settled. And we're also thinking, you know, of course, we think about patent exclusivity and the commercial implications of what we do. Here's what I think and what we think of at the company, which is that transformative medicines, and when I say transformative, what I mean is they have a massive impact on disease and quality of life for patients, for large numbers of patients. When you can deliver value and impact, along those lines, uh, that tends to get rewarded and recognized. And, you know, it still remains true. I mean, if you look at small molecules, if you look at chemistry, again, it's a modality we've had the longest experience with. It's still the most prescribed class of medicines. It's the only type of medicine that gets inside of cells. It's the only type of medicines that easily reaches all different parts of the body. It's the only type of medicine that you can pretty routinely easily and cost-effectively package and send all around the world. And if you think about access being an important part of really delivering impact and value for patients. So we see tremendous upside in the ability to create value, and we think that value will get rewarded. The IRA is also something Leon and his team have been following closely as it directly impacts some of the companies he's consulting. The elephant in the room, right, is the matter of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and its disproportionate incentive. Uh, for biologics development, you know, certainly risk-reward-adjusted modeling factors. Folks have called for legislative amendment to rectify it, and we definitely want to see that. I posit that innovation that cuts both developmental time and cost, especially for small molecules, should at least share some of that drug development limelight. I think Empress is well-positioned to now make drugs at a rate and speed that we've never seen before in small molecule drug discovery. And there's reason to believe that Empress's clinical success rates could also be significantly higher than what we've seen in biotech and pharma. And so given that I think Empress will be doing it faster, better, and cheaper, they are in a very strong position to change the economics around R&D and small molecule development in general. So Empress has 15 drug candidates and is currently in the process of prioritizing them. Jason said that Empress will pick a handful to progress into the clinic. I should point out that we did all of that with less than 30 people um, in about 12 months once we really stood up the platform. So a testament to the productivity of the platform and the richness of the area that we're looking at for potential drug leads. Now, 15 drug candidates for any company is a tremendous amount to progress. There are a handful of these that we think we should put at the forefront mm-hmm. and we're focusing on those. And then the others we will get to. Um, and part of the excitement at the company is well, almost every day we generate additional compounds, additional ideas in different diseases. It's a good problem to have to constantly be deciding which products you want to take forward. And this is one of the reasons we're actually talking to some potential partners. So this adds another financial element to Empress's future endeavors. While it uses its $50 million to progress its pipeline and get lead compounds to clinical trials, it could also have a separate revenue stream from drug development partnerships with other companies willing to take on some of that R&D burden for Empress's other non-lead candidates. In terms of when we could see a product actually coming to market, that's something that will be dependent on the compound and indication that Empress chooses to progress. 
and Jason said Empress is looking to stack different programs based on disease impact to build its portfolio. Our conversation turned to future trajectory and how far the 50 million could take Empress. We can go quite far with the with the dollars that we have now. The reality is I don't know any biotech company that isn't always thinking about how to raise money. Yeah. You know, we're in a, in a very expensive business. And, you know, for us, the beauty of what we're doing, and again, it's a good problem to have, is we're thinking about how many programs can we take forward ourselves? And that will impact how we think about fundraising. Okay, because if you do partnerships and that will bring in some cash to also help you Mm -hmm. alleviate some financial strain. Yeah, and depending on which indications or which areas you go into, you may need to raise different amounts of money and have different timelines. So so those are all things that we think about constantly. Is everything on the table from M&A, IPO, bigger partnerships, or is there a priority of like a vision of where the company sees itself? Well, I think if you take the patient impact and our, our mission is to make good medicines fast across a wide range of diseases. And we will always optimize around that. So how to do that? You know, we have what we think is a very unique approach. I'm not, again, I'm not aware of any company that's doing anything like what we're doing. You know, when we think about the potential impact, you know, on the, the value that I talked about, going faster, being more productive, using human compatible starting points, using genetics, bringing that all to bear, ultimately to make a drug that you can put in a pill that you can take once a day to treat a disease where there may not have been a treatment before. And to do that again and again across different diseases, we're going to optimize how do we build this company in such a way that we can capture that society, the world can capture the full value of what that promises. And the science and data will will tell us, you know, just how much of that we can achieve. That's the way science always works. And that's just, that's a long way to answer your question, Sarani, of saying, <laughs> we'll, we'll think about all the options, but I can promise you that we will optimize around value and impact on the promise of both the platform as well as any individual products that we're advancing. Empress is still very early days now with not even one drug in the clinic, but they're going to be quite strategic with how compounds pan out in the early stages what sort of partnerships they can sign, and how much money they need to progress their lead candidates through the clinical trial phases. But I did ask Jason what he saw as a golden inflection point or point of validation for the company moving forward. Here's, here's a fun way to think about it that I've thought about, which is it's, it's a special moment for a biotech company when they take a compound or a molecule that they designed and then they take it to humans you know, first in human for the first time. When I thought about it, actually what we're doing in a way is we're tapping into all this evolutionary R&D that's already taken place inside the human body. And we're working, we're starting with compounds that de facto have already been inside of humans. Similar with any other other drug company, when we have drug products that we're ready to talk about publicly, when you declare them mm-hmm. and when you go into the clinic, those are those are pretty important moments for any company. Oh, I think it's going to be a new future for the field. I don't think it will be the future for the field, but I think it's going to be an exciting new future among many. And I believe Empress is in a privileged position right now for a very unique platform with a number of unique scientific and technological insights that they're acting on quite quickly. So that's it for this episode of Raising Biotech. This is definitely going to be an interesting company to watch as they unveil drug candidates, get them into the clinic and sign partnerships. 
Will they be able to successfully prove that the answer has always been in us? I guess we'll eventually find out. Thanks to my guests, Jason Park, Jim Collins, and Leon Henderson McLennan, and to you for tuning in. To get notified about new episodes, please hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening and give us a rating on Apple or Spotify. It really helps to spread the word. But for now, I'm Sarani Fernando. I'll see you next time on Raising Biotech.